an honor. And, um, you know, when they sent me an email to speak, they asked, they, um, you know, they said I should really speak about being uh, somebody from in the world today. And um, I did have an occasion yesterday, as uh, was mentioned before, that we spoke to the girls yesterday, to the women. Uh, and um, I, I, I think there's something else I would like to sort of broach today. Um, but it has very much to do with living in the world today and who you are and what you're learning and what you know and how you approach things. <clears throat> I'm a Canadian, but I am a lawyer by background. And, um, you know, we're all world observers. I'm sure a lot of you are following the news, and the big kerfuffle these days is um, somebody leaked from the Supreme Court of the United States a potential decision where there's a potential, it hasn't been released yet, but it seems that uh, unprecedented, that somebody leaked a, a, a proposed decision that would overturn Roe versus Wade, which was a celebrated um, a decision that was handed down a couple decades ago which basically enshrined the fact that the Constitution, even though there was no such thing, or it wasn't looked upon as abortion in those days, but um, <clears throat> that, that the Americans have a constitutional right to abortions. I don't want to get into a political issue today, but it's really how the Constitution is being used, which I'm really driving at. As you can imagine, it became a huge, huge political kerfuffle. And, uh, you know, the question is whether the Constitution, which was written in 1776, and tried various rights, <clears throat> was there such a thing as a right to abortion? Right? Now, obviously, um, you could be a legal scholar and try to decide that based on precedent, based on you know legal constitutional law, but more often than that, it becomes a, a political issue. Now, uh, <clears throat> I remember um, uh, the, this woman justice who was just, uh, not, not just the latest one that Biden did, but uh, Trump, Amy Barrett, uh, uh, what's her name, Barrett, um, she was asked when she was, um, you know, uh, you know, in front of the Senate committee about how that works when things change. And if I remember correctly, and again, I'm not a U.S. constitutional scholar, that there was something called super precedences. So, you know, look at, there was slavery in 1776. Nobody has a habamina today that, that blacks do not have a constitutional rights, even though in 1776 they didn't. Right? So there's a big, big sikhsuk that there was a constitution that was written. And how does it get applied 250 years later? That's basically the sikhsuk. Lately, in the last couple of weeks, it became like a very big issue because there was a shooting in Texas. And the question is, um, there is no question about it. Nobody's going to argue about the fact that there's a Second Amendment and, uh, and that is the right to bear arms. And, um, again, depending which news channel you'll listen to, Biden's going to say, well, it's not absolutely assault weapons, not weapons, this weapons. Now, okay, we're Canadian. I've got a Prime Minister Trudeau that uh, couldn't help but jump because he's far to the left. He's going to outlaw BB guns, like literally. <coughs> All right, why am I bringing this up? Bring it up because if you would go to a class on relative religious jurisprudence or something in a university, They'll say, okay, there's a constitution in the United States, and a lot of societies have constitutions. It's not mukrach, it's not necessary to assume that there's going to be a constitution in any society, 
you go to some island in the South Pacific, there's no constitution, but there's a social compact of how people live. But, you know, a lot of countries today do have constitutions. We have a constitution also. It's called the Torah. So, you go out to the world, and I'm living in the world, and every business meeting, if it's not talking about sports, it's talking about Roe versus Wade or about right to bear and all of a sudden it becomes a vikuach about how does this work? What rights do you have? And if you had certain rights in 1776, how does it change? And invariably what happens is those, conver- those conversations digress and they say, um, okay, you have a Bible and you know, how does it work with you in the Bible? So I'm asking you, is our Bible like the Constitution of the United States? I mean, I'm going to say Wahabdo because we have to say Wahabdo, but does it behave the same or does it not behave the same? So the truth of the matter is, and if you're here, you could probably figure this out yourself, obviously our Torah um, bears somewhat but very little resemblance to a Constitution. Now, we just celebrated Shruis, and on Shavuos, as you know, we celebrated Hashem gave us the Torah. You know, if you go through a lot of Chazals, and you'll see that it's not like Americans came to America in 16-whatever, on the Mayflower, and then a couple hundred years later, they had experiences from London, they had experiences from here and there, and they decided the founding fathers to create a constitution, and it was probably one of the most cleverest social policy document by some of the cleverest people who ever walked on this world. It was Federalist Papers who interpreted it, and it became the underpinning of probably what became the greatest country in the world. There's no question about it. You cannot take away the Hashivas of the Constitution. But our Torah is different. Chazal say that the Torah came before the world. Hashem looked into the Torah and created the world. Torah is not just a Constitution. The Torah is a blueprint of how he created the world. <clears throat> now, created the world. It's hard to say, and it's certainly above my pay grade, but you could ask your rabbi, if Adam Harishan didn't, like, mess up, how that would have worked with the Torah. You know, we were talking about it on Shabbos, actually, but obviously the always had such a concept of Torah before. Avram had 400 Masechtas of Avodah Zarah. Like, they, they, they kept the Torah. Like, there's lo- you, uh, endless commentaries about how the Avodah before Kabbalah Satara behaved in terms of, you know, halakh rules that we find in the Torah. However, officially, the Torah was not given for 2,448 years. And um, <clears throat> after the Chet of Adamarishan, in the world that we know now, what ended up happening was it literally took two and a half millennials, like 2,448 years, to be exact, plus maybe six months, I guess, depending on whatever, <clears throat> uh, for the world to be ready for the Torah to actually be given. But before doing that, they couldn't just like send it down and come and get it, whoever. They first had to create a nation, starting with others, starting with individuals, developing that into a family of Shvatim, developing that into a Uma nation of 600,000 people, and they had to shake them and bake them, and they had to put them through a Korah Barzo and the Yanger Furnace of Mitzrayim, and all the experiences that they had to do, built upon all of the ancestral trades that they inherited from the other, until they were ready to accept this Torah. So, we got this Torah, 
has lots of rules. And to a certain extent, that is our constitution in a very kind of loose manner of speaking because it obviously does delineate the rules by which we live. Now, the constitutional has certain rights and it's this long. Our tire is all-encompassing and it doesn't just include, um, you know, legal jurisprudence. It includes, like everything in the kitchen sink, it includes, you know, not only legal jurisprudence or religious jurisprudence, it's Midos, it's Tyrus, it's Kabbalah, like it, everything is found in the Tyrus. So it's, it's obviously a very widely en- en- encompassing thing. Um, the point that is of interest that I think I'd like to sort of spend a little bit more time on, and it's quite, the reason I'm doing that is because I was asked, I'm a guy out in the world, I'm a real estate developer, that's what I do, that's my bag. But, you know, I try to learn as much as I can and have a background. So when you're out in the world, you've got to think about stuff, and you're certainly going to be confronted with people where this conversation comes up. Right? <coughs> so <coughs> let me tell you. When the Torah was written, they didn't have um, international datelines. They didn't have many of the chotchkes that we have today. They didn't have electricity, they didn't have trains, they didn't have boats. They didn't have a million, million of things. So our Torah is also, needs to be adapted to a new world also. So why are we different? Rebanish Lalem and his wisdom, when he gave the Torah, he did not want this to be an open book to the entire world. Because it was a very unique treasure that he entrusted in a very, very, very uh, particular way to people that he could trust namely our ancestors. <clears throat> and he initially made it actually a bit tougher because he only did the Teresh of but he stapled that together with the Teresh of and that Teresh of was given over by Messiah from Rabbeinu and if you sort of read the history of it you kind of kind of see how that gets transmitted. Now you just finished the Shia and I understand you're learning Masech the Shabbos but you learn the Masech the Shabbos is because somewhere along history, because of how we transitioned over the history, the Torah Shabbat needed to be written down. Right? So we do have rules of how we interpret the Torah and how that Torah gets interpreted throughout the generations. But there's a very, very big difference. You know, we have G'day and we have a Mayatzes. So think about it for a second. I'm going to ask you. If you go to a business meeting and there's some intelligent people around the table, and you say, how is your Mayetzes, or how is your, uh, whatever is a economy, you know, or Klein Kanievsky, how is he different than a Supreme Court in the sense of, of how how do you interpret the term? Rebushlam did something very interesting. He understood, and Rebushlam understand, that, <coughs> that the term needs to be adapted and there's some discretion that has to be given to humans. What's the biggest riot that that happens? The absolutely biggest riot that just happened like the day before yesterday. The biggest riot is that Moshe Rabbeinu on his own volition decided that the Torah should be given on the seventh day of seven instead of the sixth day of seven. And it's one of those things that the Gemara says that Moshe did on his own and Hashem agreed with him. Now, you think about it for a second. You know, if you go to, like, you know, go to Meishon, a long rabbi, 
big long beard and this chusen that come out of a yantif and all that, all the artists and all the influences that come out of a yantif. And it was all designed in the heaven for all that to happen on the sixth day of Sivan. And then Moshe Rabbeinu figures out, well, it's three days and it has to be the night before the day. It's going to be the seventh, right? And the entire plan changed. That was a right that was given to Moshe Rabbeinu. There's actually very dramatic stories in the Torah, in the Gemara that are, that are given, where there was a very, 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 very intriguing personality in the Gemara. You may have heard about him, Rabbi Lazar. It was a little like he was a bit of a maverick, and uh, he had various arguments with other Tanoam over time, and uh, he was outvoted because the way that, you know, Psak occurred in those days, he was outvoted. But he was like Rebelezer, and Rebelezer made the sky shake, and the Baskrel came out and said, you know what, I love like Rebelezer. And um, everybody said, too bad, Lord B'Shemayim, he, but he's a Chachamim, could you imagine that? The Chachamim at the time of Rebelezer, I think the argument was about a certain tumuk relating to a certain oven, how it was constructed. And God himself, when a bicycle said, Rebelez is right. And, you know, all the other Tanoam, and they were no slouches, they were like the top guys. Um, well, according to the way we understand the Messiah, this is how it's going to be. Right? And that's how it was. <laughs> he got into like, it was a whole story with Rabbi Lazar. Right? So think about that for a second. Right? We have a Torah, and it gets adapted by, by people. So what difference does it make? Right? So, this is, this is a bigger issue that would come to mind, and it's something that you gotta think about. Because Klai Yisrael suffered a lot through this. If you go through the Hashkalah period, and then there's a conservative movement and a reform movement, and say, so listen, if a Belazer, you know, could say this, then why can't we say that? Or why can't we have organs and shuls? Or why can't we drive? Or why can't we do this? Or why can't we do that? Why? Why not? Who says? So the answer is we do have a Messiah, and that was one of the beauty with the Torah. Now, w- part of the fact that we're religious and we're Jewish is that we live somewhat on faith. And, you know, certainly I could speak about myself, but, you know, we don't understand every single nuance of how this thing works because it's above our pay grade. And if you go to the Godelador, obviously he has a lot more clarity. But one thing we do could take to the bank, that when the Torah was given, there was a Messiah that was given with it. And... That Messiah prescribes that over the generations they're going to be G'daylem and they don't get voted. Like It's not like the president designates that Rav Chaim Kanievsky is a Ador and nobody designated Rav Shalom Eliyashev to be the, the Paisek Ador. It becomes an organic thing that when you see him, you know him. You know, I invite you to have conversations with your Abonim here. They're extremely capable of how do you know but over the history you knew and that's how it worked out and we're able to live with a Torah that's adapted even to an extent that there's a lot of halachas I mean even if you learn like Hilchus Nida for example there's there's like the Teva of people changed over the years the Shiurim changed like the, some some physical things of how things worked and how big people were and how long they lived and how they digested food and how their, their body, they changed. There were certain reforms that worked then that don't work now, that work now. 
We had a guest on Shabbos from Australia. Did somebody from Perth? Right? Nobody until a hundred years ago, and more to the point, when Miri Yeshiva got to Kobe, Japan, even bothered to worry about the international dateline. And now, because nobody, you know, like... But you know what? It was always, forevermore, that they had to start someplace, but nobody ever was floating around on a sailing expedition out to the other side of Japan, so nobody really cared. Right? So... There are Rishonim that are based on all these Pesachim. You know, there's a Wimor, uh, I think, based on the, you know, in terms of that Rishonim had to be... It's a long story. We, you know, just Google it. But, um, it, you know, it turns out in, in Australia, everybody agrees, everybody agrees in Australia that it's like our day. Why? Because the basic land mass is, um, you know, the most of the land mass is still on this side of whatever side you want to say is the international date line. Right, but I actually read this in an article. But he, but this guest that we had told us also, if you live in Melbourne, you can't take a rowboat up into the water because it doesn't apply. So you're on, you know, your Sunday, your Sunday afternoon, you can't take your kid on a rowboat in the ocean because the ocean has a day of, of Shabbos when it's Sunday for you. Okay, did you know that? It was an Ami magazine because of when they Melbourne opened, but Ben Cien Heights calls that also, and I knew it because I saw it in the article. Now, let me tell you, I went through Shas a bunch of times, never saw that. In fact, never even had any reference to Australia. Right? So how do you figure that stuff out? Right? It turns out that there's a Rechazanisha Shita, there's a Rechazanisha Shita, there's a there's, there's, a bunch, there's three different sheetas and they're all very persuasive and right now if you ask the place come today you do two out of three and it gets very complicated and because of that I don't think I'll ever go to see Fiji unless maybe on a Tuesday afternoon I'll we'll hop in a helicopter and hop out of here but, but seriously if you think about it for a second how do you do how, how does that stuff work the fact of the matter is that there is a Messiah that teaches us how to adopt the Torah but that Messiah needs to be the kind of Messiah that is true to the Torah principles of what that, that what constitutes that Messiah. So, you know, you have a constitution and people, look, constitutions change. There's nobody in America today, not yet, well, maybe like the way, way I was the right white supremacist, but really basically nobody in America would not say that a black person does not have exactly the same constitutional rights as, as a white person. And that's how it should be. But I don't know if you would ask Thomas Jefferson in 1776, he would have said that. And he was one of the main authors of the Constitution. So could you apply that same kind of conversation to us? I personally think that if a Rishon was transported in time and would be sitting in that chair, he would be comfortable to eat that chicken. What do you think? What? He would say that that chicken complies with the rules of Kashrus as he would be accepted. Even though from at that time till now there was, I'm sure, 1,500 Muggen of and Tazas and the whatever that, that are going to say this is kosher and that's not kosher and this is kosher and that kind of industrial activities, whatever. So anyway, the point that the talk is like this. We live in a world where there is a lot of political changes. There's a political changes of things that are constant in documents of how countries are working. But you got to cherish the fact that you are part 
of a Klal Yisrael that has a Torah that has an eternal um, substance to it that could adapt in the proper way and adapts actually very well. Right? And, and, um, and, and the Torah is, you know, and I'll finish with this. The interesting thing about the Torah is you learn the Torah, you learn Asafa Shabbos, right? Um, we don't have different Torahs, right? If you, if your kid goes to sixth grade, he's going to learn the same Torah as high school, the same Torah at Yu's learning, and the same Torah that Chaim Kanievsky's learning. Obviously, the depth and what you see in the page may be different because obviously, as you get more and more sophisticated, that's more that lies within the words words of the Torah. But there's only one Torah. It's one of the uh, animamas that you say. It's one of the ikarim of what we believe in. Uh, and that Torah has its own rules of how that gets gets interpreted. And um, that Torah sometimes, um, you know, like, you know, here it gets into like the voodoo land. Uh, there was a story with the Baal Shemta, because like, I'm going to talk like a lawyer, right? So the, the king, uh, somebody came over to the Baal Shemta once, and he said, um, you know, he was in a din Torah, and he lost a din Torah. So he said, I'm going to pay, I'm an Arab Hayyid, but I happen to know the emphasis that I do not owe the guy money. You can have a hundred witnesses. I'm not debating it. But you're the Baal Shem Tov. I'm telling you what's going on. This is a word in the Torah says that this is done emes lamitoy. What is emes lamitoy? See the Shalom brings this down many times. He says, it could be, Enochanami, you're right, there's a din Torah of how that rule gets adopted, okay, in a legal jurisprudence rule. But it could be that you had a Gilgal before that your Gilgal owned the other guy money and you had to come back and pay him not because here's a gift, but because it had to come through a din. Complicated. But you, you, there, there's so much beneath the surface of the Torah that each one of us has to relate to the Torah at a certain level. And we're able to do that. Uh, but we need to appreciate of how much more depth there is below the surface. And to, even though we may not be able to grasp it, and it may be way above our pay grade, uh, but it's there, and part of what our fundamental faith is, to accept that such a thing exists, and to be able to accept it and, and make it drive into the world that you do live in.